Alright, so we're in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll look at verse 15. It says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. And we're, tonight we're going to continue on the series, probably only just do one more week on drawing lines on ecclesiastical separation. Last week we looked at repentance. Uh, we talked about what we believe a little bit on it and how other people can vary on this and be a little different. We can still consider them brothers. We can still love them. We can still fellowship with them. And, I, and ultimately, my crazy chart that I came up with last week was not a blueprint for anyone's life. All right? It was partially just kind of illustrating my thinking. And it was kind of complicated and crazy on purpose because it is kind of a complicated thing. And it's not something that we need to get real, be real sticklers on. Okay? And, you know, and I think everybody here got the message. I did have someone that listened to that message and really appreciated it. But clearly, it's like, I, I should say, they complimented me on it and express their uh, you know, gratefulness for me preaching that. But clearly, I don't think they listened to a word I said in that message. <laughs> it was just like, I know you're complimenting me right now, but what you were saying shows me that that message did not get through to you. <laughs> but anyway, you know, we, something you've got to understand is, you know, obviously, as a pastor, when I get up and I preach, I'm preaching what I believe. I'm preaching by conviction. You know, we're, we're laying these things out. But it doesn't always mean we hate everyone. That disagrees with us. You know, do we all understand that? Do you know we can disagree sometimes without being ugly with each other? It's it's really possible to do that. I know we all say that. Some of us actually live it and practice it. Okay. And tonight we're going to look at another area where I'm telling you, we can disagree. And some of us say it, some of us actually practice it. And I believe when it comes to eschatology, there you there there is room for disagreement on this. I believe what I believe about eschatology, and I'm all for me run, you know, people, preachers running their mouth about what they believe. But again, if it's different than somebody, we don't need to throw a big hissy fit. Okay? Obviously, there are heresies people can get into. There are damnable heresies, but some things are just disagreements. And a lot of times, people don't know how to tell the difference between the two. And a lot of times, too, in churches, you have people who maybe they're new to Christianity, they're new to the things of the Bible, and they do, they hear the pastor preach against something, and sometimes pastors are preaching against damnable heresies. And you know what? Hate those damnable heresies. Okay? But then sometimes he's preaching about stuff he just disagrees with. And then it's like people hear that, and then they treat it like the exact same thing. And so, you know, you'll hear me, you know, just bashing work salvation, it's a damnable heresy... Or maybe you'll hear me bashing dispensational salvation, saying that's a damnable heresy, but then you hear someone else say, I believe in dispensations, and then you're just like, heretic, I hate you. It's like, wait a minute, time out. That's not what you were supposed to get from me talking about you know, dispensational salvation. But a lot of times people, they don't know a lot about these different things. And so understand... Um, you know, while it's good to have a certain level of trust for your pastor, just understand that if he's talking about a group that you don't really know anything about, you know, you don't necessarily have to just 
be quick to throw anyone in hell that associates with that word. Maybe just, you know, let it be a warning, you know, when you hear that word. But, you know, don't, don't be too crazy with this stuff. And so, uh, hopefully, ultimately, what I'm wanting people to get from this is just kind of the spirit of a lot of this. I'm not, while we're drawing lines, you know, some of these are not like real solid lines. Okay, and I, and I, ho- I think everybody here is getting that. But this passage that we just read, we see an example of two guys who were in error. Paul said, who concerning the truth had erred. They made a mistake. They may have been, uh, you know, trying their best to get things right. But even though their intentions were probably good, their mistake had actually caused other people's faith to be overthrown. It says they overthrew the faith of some. doesn't mean those people lost their salvations, but you've got to understand in the Bible, sometimes it, when it talks about remaining in the faith, it's really referring to just the practice, what we believe, what we do. And there's a lot of people who are saved and they also are living by faith. They're serving the Lord. They're being obedient. They're going souling. They're doing all these things. And you know what? You can make someone shipwreck in the sense of, they quit doing those things. They get out of church. They give up on the things of God. doesn't mean they lost their salvation. But, you know, we don't want to be teaching things that are so bad and so messed up that we're causing people to stumble and fall. And that's what these two guys did. And it was a result of bad teaching. And in this case, it was on eschatology. He said they've erred concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is past and overthrow the faith of some. And we know that the resurrection is something that is about the last days. It's about last things. We see when Lazarus was, at, uh, was dead and Jesus at his funeral. Remember what uh, Mary or Martha said to him when she said, I know he will rise at the resurrection of the last day. So this was something that they knew that was coming in the end. And these guys were wrong on it. And it caused problems. Being wrong on eschatology can get you, can lead to big trouble. And it definitely did with these guys. We see when it comes to eschatology, we have been warned to not let people deceive us. Second Timothy or uh, Thessalonians 2, 3 says, let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 24 and verse four, Jesus answering said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. And then he proceeded to tell them about last things. So we've got two warnings in the Bible. We're not supposed to let people deceive us when it comes to these things. So here's the big question. How wrong will I allow someone to be on end times before I'll break fellowship with them? I think it's a legitimate question. You know, and here's another question, all right? And this is one that, you know, our type of Baptists like to ask. How, long, how wrong will you allow someone to be on end times before you'll declare them unsaved? And then the third question, and we don't do this, but how long before they reprobate, right? You know, but we, we, won't, we won't even get into that. But, you know, many people, they have a big problem with me fellowshipping with pre-tribbers and Zionists. And many pastors, they'll say it's okay to fellowship with them, but they don't actually do it. I actually do it, okay? I am the, I am the rare exception. I'll actually do it. I'll actually have them come preach. And you know what? I don't do it to just prove anything. The people that I have are people that I know that I have known for years, 
people that I trust, people that, I mean, I've seen the fruit of their lives and the fruit of their ministry. And let me tell you, I've been around long enough. I've been around pre-tribbers long enough. I've been around post-tribbers long enough that those are not the determining factors that prove whether or not someone is just a decent Christian that loves the Lord. I think everybody should be right when it comes to these things. I think it's important, but those are just not defining things. There have been plenty of wonderful Baptists that have done great things for God through the years that were not like us on eschatology. And there are there, and so uh, I'm going to continue to practice this. I'm not I'm not doing this thing to you know. You've got people they want to prove they're not racist, you know. So they've got to like do you know purposefully take a picture of themselves doing something for a minority. You know, that, that's not why I do these things. You know, these are, I'm not, I'm not searching for a friend. You know, like everybody's got to have that one minority friend. I got to go find them so I can, you know, prove I'm, I believe in diversity. Okay? No, these are people that have been in my life, know my whole life. So it's not fake, folks. It's the real thing. And so, uh, and, and I've had, I had a guy call me up one time and just, I mean, doing everything he could to convince me that we should not fellowship with pre-tribbers. And, you know, and he gave me some arguments, and I'll probably cover some of these tonight, and I personally thought they were ridiculous, and I think this guy's an idiot that told me that. But, um, you know, people too, same thing with Zionists. You know, how could you, you know, support anyone? How could you recommend somebody go to one of these Israel-worshipping churches? It's like, well, if I literally thought they were worshipping Israel... You know, I probably wouldn't send anybody to that church. But, you know, that's just an insult that we throw at people who make too big of a deal about Israel. Yeah, you know, and, you know, and I would, I, I would go to, I would go visit a church. I don't, I don't know if I could attend regularly a church that had a Zionist flag on the platform <laughs> at this point. I, I don't, I don't know if I could handle it. I would, I wouldn't condemn anybody for doing it. I, I wouldn't, but it would drive me crazy. <laughs> it would just, it would, I, I, I know too much. It, it, would, it would drive me nuts. But you know what? God bless those people that are sitting there and enduring it. And, uh, you know, I don't think they're not right with God for that. But obviously we do have to draw a line somewhere. And people often use proof text out of context as an excuse to be really hard on people who have different interpretations about a passage. And so the first thing we need to understand, because we're going to look at some of these passages people like to go to, to prove we need to be meaner to these people, but the thing we have to do when we're reading our Bible is we have to understand what the debate was back in Paul's day. And I've preached whole sermons on this. I can't think of the titles off of them off the top of my head. Uh, actually, I do remember one of them I preached a while back on reviving old disputes. And I talked about, I think, the resurrection. And I showed how back in the Bible days, the dispute was not on the timing of the rapture, but it was on whether or not there was a resurrection. That was the debate. Okay, that was what Paul was often talking about. We see in Acts 23, 6, says, But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit. But the Pharisees confess both. Now, folks, that's a pretty bad belief. And no spirit, no angel, no resurrection. That is a damnable heresy. And here's the funny thing, too. The Pharisees, they confessed both. 
So the Pharisees were definitely saved, right? Because they were right on eschatology. Well, actually, the Pharisees, they had their own set of problems too, didn't they? You know, and here's the thing we're going to find out through this message, okay? I don't want to get ahead of myself, but when we're trying to figure out if someone's saved, eschatology is not the best place to go. Because here you've got one group that's wrong and one group that's right. And the group that was right was just as lost as the group that was wrong on this subject. So that is not really the thing we want to go to. So if you come to me and say, Pastor Tommy, do you believe pre-trippers are saved? You know, first I'm going to say yes, and you're stupid. But, you know, that just, you know those, that's not kind of your go-to thing. Okay? That's not really what you ought to go to. But there's a lot of scriptures we've gone on this subject. But an area where we can clearly draw a line when it comes to eschatology is people must believe in a resurrection. Okay? People must believe in a resurrection. This is a salvation issue. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll show you this a little bit. So now, let's go to our Ruckmanite whiteboard. And uh, I've got some more lines that I've drawn here. So I've got, I've got a few lines here. So we have heaven up here. Okay? We have, a, and then this section here is who we'll fellowship with. This is a group we will not fellowship with. These are people that are unsaved, and those are the flames of hell uh, at, at, the, <laughs> at the bottom. We have to throw that in there. So, one thing in 1 Corinthians... Chapter 15, verse 12 says, Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, and folks, this is about our resurrection. Okay? The whole chapter is about our resurrection, what kind of body we come back with. This is our resurrection. And some among them were saying that there was no resurrection. And he said, if, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Paul said, you can't, you can't say there's no resurrection of the dead and say that Christ is risen. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection, he goes on. So understand, our resurrection and the resurrection of Christ is one doctrine that go together. And to deny either of them is to, to deny both of them. So understand, this is, I, I'm not making the big deal out of this. Paul's making the big deal out of this. He says, and if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins, then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So you have to believe in a resurrection to be saved. That, that's a must. Okay? This is a salvation issue. And so understand, if someone, and I talked to somebody like this one time, this was an ordained, uh, he was a Baptist, he changed from being a Baptist, but he went full preterist and literally went, he, he denied a literal resurrection of the dead. He, he literally, and so no resurrection, if you believe this, you're going to hell, my friend. Okay. 
and just mark it down. Anyone in the hell section we don't fellowship with, okay? That, that should be a gimme. Uh, but we've got some people that we won't fellowship with that I can't necessarily put in hell. Okay, so that's why we've got that distinction right there. So keep that in mind. You must believe in a literal resurrection. Just like, because everyone, I think we would all agree. I know we would all agree here. You better agree with this, that we believe in a literal resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't believe in a spiritual resurrection. We don't believe in a figurative resurrection. We believe in a literal resurrection. Jesus died, was buried, and he physically, literally rose again. And one of these days, we are going to rise from the dead too. Jesus Christ is the first roots. There's no doubt about that. So I will not fellowship with someone who denies a literal resurrection of the dead. And also, I will not fellowship with someone who denies a literal return of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, while I do believe the resurrection happens at the return of Christ, I cannot for sure tell you that someone who denies a literal, physical, visible return of Jesus Christ, I can't for sure make that a salvation issue. I'm pretty sure those people aren't saved. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Okay? And, and I've talked to preterists, too, that do not believe in a literal return of Christ. Some of them believe that he returned in judgment in 70 A.D., and they don't believe in a literal return. There, I don't think there's a lot that believe that way, but let me tell you right now, if someone does not believe in a literal return of Christ, I could probably put them in hell, but I'm going to be really gracious tonight, and I'm not, okay? But I'm not fellowshipping with them. If somebody does not believe that Jesus is coming back, I'm not, I'm not going to fellowship with those people. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 3, for the, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So right here, Peter called those who scoffed at the idea of Jesus coming back. He said, these are people that follow after their own lusts. So these are, these are bad people that are just, for whatever reason, just trying to teach things for their own benefit. Are they all unsaved? Probably. I'm not going to defend their salvation. But you know what? I, you know, I'm not going to tell you 100% sure those people are going to hell. But I'm going to just tell you this right now. If they're not expecting the return of Christ, I don't want to fellowship with them. I don't want to have anything to do with them. If you've got a verse that can make that a salvation issue, I'd love nothing more than to throw them in hell, but I just couldn't be 100% sure on that. Because, uh, you know, and I, I don't want to get into some of the weird theories that are out there, but it, it, it was something I would definitely not fellowship with somebody in that area. People must believe in a literal resurrection of the dead and the return of Christ. And so when you go as far as trying to spiritualize the resurrection and the return, I do, you've crossed, you've crossed over into some serious heresy. And I would, most of the time I would think those people are unsaved. Now, what groups are included in the saved category? And because this is where it can get complicated because again, what is, what is clearly a salvation issue is the resurrection because the apostle Paul told us that it was. And a lot of your, you know, I, I wish we had time to cover all the different groups. But one thing I've learned is there's just, there's not a consistent 
position amongst any groups. There really isn't. You know, when you talk to a lot of your post-millennialists, you know, or um, post or amillennialists, when you talk to a lot of those people, some of them do not believe in a literal resurrection. Some of your amillennialists, they do not believe in a literal return, but some of them do. You know, some post-millennialists, they believe in a literal return of Christ after we've kind of conquered the world for Christ. And I've, I've read a lot of different positions in these areas, and I can't find any consistency within those groups and within those terms. But what I always listen for whenever I'm listening to them or whenever I've talked to people with these beliefs is I just ask them, do you believe Jesus Christ is literally going to return one of these days? And if they say yes, you know, I'm glad to hear that. We can talk about some of that other stuff some other time. But I've talked to some, and they've said no. You know, I'll ask them, do you believe in a literal resurrection of the dead? Do you believe that the bodies of the saints are going to rise one of these days? I'll ask them that. And if they don't believe that, you know, it's just, to me, it's just like, you know what? There's no point on talking any further. There's, there's really no point. Um, these people, you're, you're too far gone when it gets to that. But again, Figuring out which ones are saved, it's tough because these, this is not really a gospel issue for the most part. Now, obviously, here's something else you need to understand, too, is we're kind of putting these categories of people that we think are saved, that we're going to fellowship with, is, again, this is eschatology. This is not the gospel, okay? So people, they can be right on eschatology and wrong on the gospel, okay? So it's, it's never just one thing that we look at to see if we're going to fellowship with somebody, all right? So if you're wrong in the gospel, you're just not saved. So understand, we don't base fellowship solely on any single doctrine. So you've got to assume any of these other groups that I talk about are groups that are right in the gospel too. Okay, can we do that? Because what, what somebody's going to want to do, Pastor Tommy said that this one group, he would fellowship with them, but that group believes this about the gospel. Listen, that's a, a separate issue. Okay, I'm saying assume everybody I talk about tonight is right on the gospel. Okay, so just keep that in mind because this is I'm showing where someone can go wrong on this subject of eschatology. So here's the other question. This is an important question because we I we I obviously when it comes to the resurrection, even pre-tribbers believe in the resurrection, don't they? You know, pre-tribbers they believe in you know, and I, I guess I should put on no fellowship, uh, so I'm not confusing anybody. I should put no literal return. Okay, just, just specify that. Okay? They do not believe in literal return. Pre-tribbers believe in a literal return of Christ. Okay, but what about timing? All right, what about timing? Because people will bring this up uh, when it comes to the rapture. And so, uh, you know, is that ever a factor on whether or not I will fellowship with somebody? Is timing of the rapture worth breaking fellowship over. And I will say, yes. And here's what people must believe about the timing of the rapture is they must believe it's in the future. You understand that? They must believe in the future. Now, I'm, I'm going to call them, I'm going to call them futurists, all right? And, and so in other words, that means they do, they they look at eschatology. They look at the return of Christ and the resurrection. They believe it is in the future. They must believe that. Because if we go back to 2 Timothy 2, remember in verse 60 it says, But shun profane and vain babblings, 
for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Some teaching, bad teaching, will lead you into other sin. And then he, specific, he specifically mentions Hymenaeus and Philetus who had, were saying that the resurrection is past and overthrow the faith of some. Now, they weren't like the Sadducees. They weren't, denying, they weren't saying there's no resurrection. They said, no, we believe in a resurrection. We just believe it's already happened. And Paul did not say in here that these guys were not saved. Okay? But they were an error. They were people that needed to be marked. Their problem was not a pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib problem. Their problem is they thought it already happened. That was their problem. But I'm not convinced that they were unsaved. Okay? Look, look what it says in 1 Timothy 1, verse 20. He mentions Hymenaeus. He says, Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. You say, well, that sounds pretty bad. Obviously, these guys probably weren't saved. But if we look at 1 Corinthians 5, we know this guy was saved. We all say he was saved. He talked about the man who had had his father's wife. He said to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So understand, I think, I personally think Hymenaeus and Philetus were probably saved, but their doctrinal error was leading into, is leading people into more sin. And so the Apostle Paul, he had to call it out. Sometimes you have to call people out. We don't always have to throw them in hell. There's going to be people down in this section right here that we do not like, that they are wrong, that what they are teaching is creating problems, but it doesn't necessarily make them unsaved. So someone who believes that the resurrection is past, we're not fellowshipping with those people. Okay? They're, they're in the no fellowship category. Why? Because that teaching, that leads to more ungodliness. That's what Paul said. And so you know what? And they, it overthrows the faith of people. And it's an, it's, it's an error. It's a big error that has some real consequences. So understand, we're going to call these people out. Now, here's what people do. Okay. Now, if, if I just don't want a fellowship with somebody, I just like, you know what? I, I just, I'm sick of pre-tribbers. I'm sick of them. I don't like them. I just, I don't want to fellowship with them. I could go to 2 Timothy 2.15 and show, look, the Apostle Paul called these guys out for being wrong on eschatology. He delivered one of those guys over to Satan, he mentioned, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And you know what? I don't want to have anything to do with these people. But wait a minute. What they, are the pre-tribbers, is what they're saying the same as what these guys are saying? No, it's a completely different thing. The pre-tribbers also, they believe that the resurrection is in the future. They believe, just like we do, in a future resurrection. They're, you know what? They're good. All right? I'm glad, I'm glad they believe that. I'm with them. We're not talking about, you know, whether, we're not arguing with them over whether or not the rapture already came in 70 AD. They're with us in that area. We've just got a little bit of uh, different time when it comes to the tribulation and stuff like that. It's not the same thing as what they were dealing with back then. It is not the same thing. So, um, you know, I, and so I show you all this to show eschatology is not really a salvation doctrine, even though just gross error can be an indicator that one's not saved. You know, obviously a saved person, they just can't seem to get, or an unsaved person can't seem to get anything right. You know, but at the, at the end of the day, 
you know, if I'm trying to figure out if somebody's saved, I'm not going to ask them a lot of end times questions. That's just not what I'm going to talk with them about. So stop trying to make disagreements on eschatology a salvation issue. And that's usually what people do when they're losing the argument. Okay? Usually when people start losing the argument on something like eschatology, they're the ones that want to turn it into a salvation issue. Why? So they can just tell you, stay away from these people. They're on their way to hell. They're false prophets. They're damnable heretics. No, they're just an error. Okay? And so let's, uh, let's not make it bigger. Like we talked about last week, we're always trying to push people in the hell category. And sometimes... They don't belong there, you know, and when you do that, you just end up hurting yourself and making yourself look ridiculous. So, um, so what about, again, what about pre-tribbers? Cause this is what people keep bringing up. The Bible says, let no man deceive you. The Bible says, let no man deceive you. Are pre-tribbers wrong? Yeah. Are they deceiving people? Yeah. Well, the Bible says, let no man deceive you, but wait a minute. Okay. When Jesus would bring this up, when Paul brought this up, I showed you the two passages. Paul said, let no man deceive you. Jesus said, let no man deceive you. What specifically was he talking about? Okay. What specifically was he talking about? Now, turn over to Matthew chapter 24 and verse 3. It says, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answering said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. Now, what are we going to do? Stop reading and then start talking about how all the deceptions of the pre-trib rapture? Or are we going to keep reading and see what Jesus did not want them to be deceived about? I think that's pretty important. If we're going to use let no man deceive you to talk about something we shouldn't be deceived by and use Jesus' words, we should probably talk about what Jesus warned these people about. So we don't get deceived by that. Now that creates a big problem if we're wanting to apply this to pre-tribbers. Because we're going to find out what Jesus was especially trying to warn them about were actually lined up with the pre-tribbers on this. So look at what it says in verse 5. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. He didn't say, for many are going to come saying, my return is imminent. And they're going to receive many, deceive many. He said, no, there's going to be people during this time that are going to come saying, I am Christ. And he's telling this too to the disciples. He's telling this during a time when Jesus has introduced himself to Israel as the Messiah and he's being rejected as the Messiah. They are rejecting him. And don't we believe that one of these days that the Jews are going to accept the Antichrist as their Messiah? So what's he warning them about? about being deceived by Antichrist. Is that what pre-tribbers are doing? I mean, when you believe, listen, the pre-tribbers believe just like we do that Jesus Christ, when he returns, he's going to come in the clouds, there's going to be a trumpet blast, and we're going to be caught up with them. Now, they believe it's a secret. They don't believe every eye is going to see him like we do. We've got some differences where we believe. But then they believe a guy's going to come along saying, I'm Christ, and is going to deceive many. Now, why would they fall with, with what they're looking for and expecting? Why would they fall for that? It, it doesn't make any sense. It's not, it's not going to work. Okay? And so look what it says in verse 23. In verse 23 it says, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. 
The pre-tribbers are looking for Jesus to return to the clouds at any moment. So if somebody says to them, hey, he's over in Israel right now. You know what pre-tribbers are going to say? That's probably the Antichrist. That's what they're going to do. Oh, no, you know, he's out. He's in this wilderness. He's over. There's nothing. Listen, as much as we love to make fun of their teaching, there is nothing about what they're teaching that would cause them to think some man on this earth is the Antichrist. Or not the Antichrist, Jesus Christ. That doesn't, or the Messiah. The pre-trivers believe like we do that the Messiah already came. Okay, does anybody know a pre-tribber that's looking for a coming Messiah? Now, Sam Gipp's looking for one to come for the Jews, all right, because Jesus isn't his. <laughs> but other than him, just about every pre-tribber on the planet believes the Messiah already came. He's, he's saying this too during a time when there's all these Jews waiting for a Messiah and they don't believe it's Jesus. So, again, to go to the let no man deceive you and apply it to pre-tribbers is really getting loose with Jesus' words, isn't it? Okay, and again, I disagree with that doctrine so much, but we can't strawman them. We're not, we're not helping ourselves. He goes on to say, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And let me tell you, when Antichrist comes along and starts doing miracles, I personally think that's when pre-tribbers are going to come and say, uh, Pastor Tommy, what was that you guys thought about the post-trib doctrine? That, that's probably what they're going to do. I don't, think they, I don't think for one second these people are going to think, oh man, I thought he was returning the clouds. Turns out, you know, no, they're not going to do that. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they say unto you, behold, he is in the desert going out forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. Hey, but I could see the Jews doing that. Hey, there's this guy over there fighting the Russians in Ukraine who happens to be a Jew and a sodomite. Hey, Anybody see it? Christians aren't going to go, oh man, is that Jesus? Is that the Messiah? But you know what? Hey, if Zelensky somehow miraculously beats the Russians, and you know what? I almost wouldn't be surprised if that happened. I could see a bunch of Jews getting pretty excited about that. I, I, I really could. But it says, for as lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So, and that's what they expect. They think Jesus is going to come in the clouds. We're, you know, they're going to see him, get caught up. That's what they're looking for. They're not looking for a guy on earth declaring himself to be the Christ. So I'm not worried about pre-tribbers in that area. We would agree 100% with them on this, that if any man rises up on this earth and says, I am the Christ, we should reject him. Pre-tribbers teach that, and so do we. We're, we're with them on that. And that's what Jesus, he did not want them being deceived by about someone saying, I am Christ, when they're not. This was not about timing of the rapture. That's not what it was about. So what about 2 Thessalonians 2? Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Because what people say, Paul told us, though, not to let anyone deceive us about eminency. Okay? Because what about eminency? Okay, those pre-tribbers, they believe in eminency. We do not. Okay? But you know what? I'm just going to tell you right now. I will fellowship with people who believe in eminency. I put them in the fellowship category. Okay? They're definitely, I, I definitely think these people are saved and going to heaven. But, oh, Paul said not to let anybody deceive you about eminency. Well, let's read it and make, make sure. 
It says in verse 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Now, what they'll say right there, he said, let no man deceive you. The day of Christ isn't going to come until these other things happen. Right? Is that why he said, let no man deceive you? Was, is it, was it that he did not want them being deceived that the day of Christ was at hand? Or was it something a little more specific? Because when it comes to these first, these first few verses here, there are some things that we could speculate on, that we could talk about, maybe even disagree with a little bit. What was this deception that was so dangerous? And some might say eminency, but that really isn't consistent with everything we see them being warned about in the rest of this chapter. And especially, too, when we, when we look at what Paul says, it's so similar to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, that for us to think, no, when he said, let no man deceive you here, he was talking about a completely different subject. Because when Jesus was talking about letting no man deceive you, it was about the Antichrist. And then we want to say, well, no, Paul, though, was talking about eminency when he said that. Well, are we sure? Because with the exception of that one verse, and we could speculate on why he brought this up. I personally have talked about this because the Bible does not tell us. Paul did not write this. He did not give us this detail. They would have known this. We don't know for sure. I think it's possible that the reason they were troubled, it wasn't because they were afraid that the, you know, res, or that Jesus Christ was about to come back so much, it, but they were, they did fear not being ready for his return. That was something first century Christians worried about. We've got a lot of scriptures on that. They wanted to be in good spiritual condition when Jesus returned. Today, we don't care. We want Jesus to come back to get us out of all of our problems. We want Jesus to come back so we don't have to pay our bills this week. That's why we want Jesus to come back. They, back then, they wanted to do something. They wanted to be ready for him. And we, uh, I, I talked a lot about this. I don't, want to, I don't want to get sidetracked on it. But, folks, there's a lot of reasons I think they could have been troubled. And I think pre-tribbers read into this weird. And I think sometimes our, our side does, too. And, and there's a lot we could say there. I don't have time to speculate on it. But notice, after Paul says, let no man deceive you, okay, what does he go on to talk about? The importance of understanding the timing of things? Or does he go on to talk about Antichrist? Because look what it says in that same verse. Except he talks about how that day is not going to come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. What's that falling away? People being deceived. And then he mentions the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked, with a capital W, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they, that they might be saved. 
What has Paul been talking about this whole chapter? He's been talking about the same thing Jesus talked about, the Antichrist. About the Antichrist. That's what they didn't want him being deceived by, the Antichrist. And folks, when Antichrist comes, many people are going to be deceived by him. But here's the thing. Are saved pre-tribbers likely to be deceived by the Antichrist? I don't think so. Because for one, there's nothing about the pre-trib rapture that teaches the acceptance of a Messiah on earth. There's nothing about it that teaches that. And if they're saved, I think they're protected too. Because look what it says in verse 11, or in verse 10, says that because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. Those who are not saved. Not those who are wrong in the timing. Those who are not saved. God's going to send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So Paul goes on, on that whole passage, talking about the Antichrist just like Jesus did. And you know, and you know what? What he said there about um, how they're all those who did not receive the truth, that they're all going to be damned. You know, notice how similar that is too to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 24. It says, For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Notice that if it were possible, they'll deceive the elect. The saved people are not going to be deceived by the Antichrist. They're not not going to fall for these things. But you know what? The Jews are going to fall for the Antichrist. So the deception that Paul and Jesus warned about back then was deception from the Antichrist. And it would appear that those who are truly saved will not be deceived by the Antichrist. Again, again, Because a pre, mid, or post-trib thing, that is not a determining factor in salvation. How many of you got saved when you were pre-trib? A lot of us did. And were saved and believed that for a long time. Even after being saved. That's not a salvation issue. But the things that Jesus warned about was a salvation issue. Why? Because especially during that first century... You had a lot of people looking for a Messiah when the Messiah had already came. And I'm telling you, again, with the exception of a couple of Ruckmanites, and, and even Ruckmanites, okay, let's not straw man the Ruckmanites, they do believe Jesus was the Messiah. Okay, just for the Jews, I, I don't know, but you know, they believe Messiah came and that Jesus was the Messiah, even if he wasn't their Messiah. Okay? And that's just beyond stupidity. We don't want to go into that. But... Let me tell you something, too. And 2020 showed me that a pre- or post-trib position, it doesn't determine who's going to do well in tribulation. That doesn't determine anything. Okay? We, we, know, we know that for a fact. So there are some subjects where we can be different as long as people aren't trying to be contentious. We can still receive them, and I think this is one of those areas. We talked about this verse last week, Romans 14.1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye but not to doubtful disputations. If somebody's just weak in the faith, hey, if they're not trying to argue with us, if they're not trying to cause problems, you know, we can, we can receive them into our church. And, and you know what? Again, if, it'd be one thing if some of these pastors, and there are some out there, were attacking us because of our beliefs. It'd be a huge difference. And you know what? Last month when we had different pastors in, three 
out of the four that we had in were pre-tribbers. All three of those guys, when I asked them to come preach, they all accepted everything, and all three of them, without me saying anything, assured me, you know, that they wouldn't, you know, preach something, you know, try, you know, try to stir any problems up for me, you know, because of errors. You know, they and I, you know what? And I, I told them like, I, I know that you don't even need to tell me that. I asked them because I know these guys, I know their character, I know they wouldn't do something like that. But, but you know, all three of the, you know, three of those guys, they told me that, and they didn't need to because I know their character. These aren't people who are attacking me, They're, but they are people who disagree with me on that. Oh, well. They were preaching on the family. They still have great families. They're still great Christians. They still love the Lord. They're, they're my you know, brothers in Christ. There's a lot of good things I could say about them. And, you know, and so now if they were out there attacking me, you know, and Pastor Tommy's going to hell because he doesn't believe in the imminent return of Christ. I'd be like, I don't know why I'd have those people come in. So, you know, uh, you know understand, too, uh, that there's, you know, so people can be, they can be different on some of these things. And so, uh, Turn over to Romans chapter 15. We see that Christ, you know, he, he receives us with all kinds of issues. And you know what? We can be the same way with other people. And you know, I hate to admit this, but you know what? Sometimes they, you know what? We can act like all those people we had in, we were just being gracious. They were receiving us with all our issues. You know what? They probably felt that way about us too. Well, I'm going to go preach at Liberty Baptist. You know, they're good people over there. They got some issues. You know, they got some areas that are wrong. You know, chances are we were being gracious at least we all felt that way. It was going both ways. <laughs> it, you know, it probably was. And you know what? That's fine. Romans 15, 1 says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Yeah. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scripture might have hope now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us under the glory of God. Christ received us with all kinds of issues. Christ still has us with all kinds of issues. So we can look at other people and say, man, you, you know, you've got that infirmity of the pre-trib rapture, but we're still going to love you. And you know what? They might feel the same way about us. They, they might see it that way. We can't let them think that way. Why not? You know what? Just think how good we're going to look when it all goes down. <laughs> just, just think about it. You know, so just, it, it's not something we really need to worry about. You know, I, I looked it up. I, I, I marked, a, I went back and looked. September 27th. 2014. You know what that day was? That was the day I declared myself post-trip. I, I was studying that day and I saw something. I was like, you know what? That's it. It's gone. I'd been suspicious for a while. You know, I was pretty sure. But that was the day I was just like, no, it, it's, it's, it's not pre-trip. But did you know I was a decent person before that? Did you know I loved the Lord before that? I did. I, I, I love the Lord. I was as honest with the scriptures as I possibly could be. But, you know, I, I learned. And you know what? I'm telling you, 
when I hear clowns tell me I shouldn't fellowship with pre-tribbers that I know, I, you know, I think, you're just an idiot. Okay? I know these people. I've seen their fruit. I've seen their families. I've seen their ministries. I've been to their church. And I'm telling you, this is an area that we have, we have just escalated things so much. And it's pride. That's what it comes down to. It's pride. You know, you know, and let me, and you know, and some stuff in eschatology is pretty tough. You know, it, it, it's very difficult. But what happens, somebody disagrees. Oh, you know, Pastor Tommy says this, I think this. And then we do, we just, we get all bent out of shape and we got to find a way to get him in hell. And you know what? That's not right. You know what? That's carnal. And, you know, the key is we've got, we, we, are we strong enough and mature enough to do these things without strife and contention? 1 Corinthians 3, 3, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying, strife, and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? I mean, isn't, isn't it amazing how somebody can just disagree on what the abomination of desolation was? And people just lose their mind. You know what it is? It's called carnality. That's what it comes down to. It's not a salvation issue. Hey, you know, whether, and you know, here, there's, there's people who believe some of the things that we put in the future have already passed. You know, did you know we can disagree with that stuff. Even the one post-trib guy we had here, he doesn't do his timeline exactly like we do. Oh, well. And I was warned. I was warned that what he teaches is so much worse than the pre-tribbers. Now, nobody, no evidence was given to that. But here's what it was. Pride. Are you afraid he's going to steal some of your audience? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But yet, people do. They get bent out of shape. It's a pride thing. And so when it comes to eschatology, we need to understand there's many things associated with it and terms that are used or groups that can help identify a person's position. But, you know, now having looked at all that we've seen and seeing the context of the let no man deceive you passages, we notice that the things that we're fighting about today is not what they were fighting about back then. It's not the same thing. You know, and so... Um, you know, what about other related doctrines? And I don't have time to spend on this, but you know, what about dispensationalism? Okay. You know, Brother Tommy, will you fellowship with the dispensationalists? Well, uh, you know, here, here's the thing about that. Define dispensationalists for me. Are we talking about a Ruckmanite dispensationalist? Okay, let me tell you, Ruckmanites, for sure here, you know, Ruckmanites, they go in the no fellowship category. And, le- and here's the thing, too. I don't know that all Ruckmanites believe this, but you know what? I put dispensational salvation people down here, too. People who believe in multiple Gospels, they're, go- they're going to hell. All right? So I think some of them are saved. They believe in the dispensation of grace right now. Well, you can put them in your blueprint. You can put them in the no fellowship category. All right? I'm putting them in hell. Okay? You know, and, and we can disagree on that. And I, I'm not going to write all the things, but on that. But here's the thing: even you all hear me preach against dispensationalism, and I am against dispensationalism. But there's all kinds of variations of it out there. There are some people, and I'm not going to take time to write it all out, that believe in what they call the law dispensation, and then the church dispensation, and then the kingdom dispensation. Okay? And you know what? I don't have a problem with that. There was the law. And then there was 
the Jesus Christ and the New Covenant. They would call it the church. I'd call it the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. But at the same time, when Jesus comes back, are things not going to be different during that time? Of course they're going to be different during that time. If you wanted to call it a dispensation, here's what you've got to understand about dispensationalism too. And that, and that word, a lot of these words people use, are it's just their way of trying to show how to interpret the Bible. Obviously when we're reading commands from the Old Testament about sacrificing animals, that is not an excuse for us to go sacrifice animals today. Why? That was under the Old Covenant. Now we will say, well we don't do it today because of the New Covenant because of replacement theology. They would say the same thing, but they would just call it dispensationalism. And there's a lot of areas in there where we can disagree. There's a lot of things we have in common. There's some things we have different. But to me, the only main salvation issue differences there is when they're teaching, when they start teaching they got saved by the law in the Old Testament, I don't know how a saved person can get that. I mean, the book of Romans is the Apostle Paul proving salvation is without works from the Old Testament. And so when you get into that kind of heresy, I don't know what to do with you. Now, most dispensationalists I know and all the ones I fellowship with do not believe that. They they don't believe that. You know how many pre-tribbers that I've talked to? that have just like tried to, you know, express to me and make sure I understand. They saw the, they saw the meeting with Gip. I do not believe that. We do, I, we do not believe that. They're all, they're, you know, I mean, Gip embarrassed a lot of pre-tribbers and embarrasses a lot of pre-tribbers with the stuff that he teaches. That is Ruckmanism that he teaches. That is not, dis, that's not even dispensationalism, okay, according to how most people teach it. But a lot of times, people in church, they'll hear me say something bad about dispensationalism, you know, and then they'll hear somebody like saying it, saying dispensationalism, and then it's just like, then you have like normal IFB preacher who believes in the law, you know, law, church, and the kingdom, and then they want to throw him into hell too. You know, there's no saved pastors in my town, Brother Tommy. Uh, All of them believe in dispensations. I don't think that means there's no saved pastors in your area. And I, I really don't. There are some people who still insist on using that word that I'm telling you, there's not a huge difference between us and a lot of things. In some, and in many cases, there's zero difference when it comes to salvation. Zero. And, but yet they use that word. You know, what about the Jews? Okay, and I've got a lot more categories up here. But listen, if they believe in a different salvation for the Jews, I'll put them down there. If they're like John Hagee, that the Jews already have a covenant with God. And I have, and I have you know, pro-Jew people tell me all the time, now, I don't believe like John Hagee. I believe they need Jesus. You know, I believe that Jews are on their way to hell if they don't repent. Now, I, just, I just believe that God has something for them in the future. You know, boy, that annoys me, but that, you know what? That's okay. You know what? We, we, can, we can disagree on that. Okay? You know, so when they're... When they're doing the Israel worship stuff, when they're blowing shofars in church, you know, when, they, when they're saying shalom, you know, boy, boy, that stuff just irritates the snot out of me. When they're wearing their lapel pin with the American and Israeli flag, man, that annoys me. But you know what? I, I know some of these people. I know some of these people that wear those pins, and I, I know they are saved. I know they love the Lord. 
And you know what? I mean, you know, you don't hate people that have that you love just because they've got a mole on their face with a big hair sticking out of it. And I'm not going to hate somebody that's got uh, is you know a lapel pin, even though it annoys me just as bad. All right, you ever thought just pull that hair out? You know, just do something. You know, just <laughs> you take that lapel pin out. So there's some things that just annoy us. We don't get to throw people in hell for stuff that annoys us. Okay. We don't, we don't get to do that. Maybe you're not going to fellowship with as much. I just, I couldn't look at that mole anymore. I'm not, you know, I, I just, I, I, you know, but I love, you know, I love, but I'm not fellowship with you. You know, we, we got to watch out for some of that stuff. You know, if they're actively supporting the Israeli military and helping them kill Muslims, you know, I'm, I'm putting them in the no fellowship category. I'm not putting up with that. Okay. I'll put up with the pen, you know, I'll put up. I'll put up with God's not done with Israel. I'll I'll put up with it. But yeah, they start. It's like, all right, we need to raise money. We got to buy some bulletproof vests for the Israeli military and some adjustable stocks and flashlights so they can see the Muslims better while they're shooting at them. You know, and I was like, sorry, get out of here. All right, sorry. You know, you, you lost me right there. But you know, even even preterists. Okay, we like to call everyone preterists that thinks anything that we think is future has already happened. You know what? Here's my thing. As, as long as they don't think the resurrection is past, as long as they believe Jesus Christ is coming in the future, you know what? We, we can't throw them in hell. The return of Christ is something we should all be excited about. It's something we should be ready for no matter what our position is. Whether you believe in imminency or don't believe in imminency, you should be ready for the return of Christ. And when it comes to these things, it is a very difficult subject. And we don't want to get so locked into a position that we can't even talk to people who are slightly different in some areas. We should all be watching. We should all be speculating. We should all be studying and doing anything that gets us excited about the return of Christ. And you know what? We're, we're all, there's always going to be different opinions in that area. And some of us have got to learn how to actually put this into practice of agreeing to disagree. And I, I, if we can't do it in this area then you know what? Maybe it is time for us to just go move out in the wilderness somewhere and just get a little cult compound somewhere and not have anything to do with the rest of society anymore. And if, if we can't do it in this area, I don't know where we can do it. And you know what? Um, I hope one of these days everybody gets straightened out on this. But you know, until then, I'm going to keep fellowshipping with these people as long as they'll fellowship with me. And some of them might not want to. And you know, they, they, might, they might think I'm too contentious about this stuff. I don't think I am, but they might feel that way. And you know what? That's, that's their prerogative. And, you know, they're still good people. And as long as they love the Lord, have salvation, right? And so hopefully this helps you get the spirit of this. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray that this uh, was a help to everyone. Lord, I thank you for this subject, Lord. I know uh, I'm excited about your return just as people who uh, disagree with us in this are. And Lord, I pray you'll help us to have some grace in this area and learn to uh, just be Christ-like in our dealings with people. Help us to uh, be gracious and to receive others uh, that maybe aren't where we are in this area and help us not to get lifted up and think we're better than everybody because we know a couple things. And I pray you'll help us to uh, be a good example in this area. In your name we pray. Amen.